0: Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you.
1: Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, Mike. Hi, Ben. Hey, Andrew. How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. It's a big week. I don't know if you guys heard Vikings coming out of the bye. The Cowboys also coming out of the bye uh, set for the primetime stage Sunday night at U S bank stadium. We were discussing this a little bit before we just started recording, but um, this is, I don't know the most excited maybe fans should be Mike. What do you think? What when was the last time you were looking forward to a Vikings game? Like people should probably be looking forward to this one.
1: That's is a bit. I think it's about as drunk as they're going to be for a while too, right? It's a <laughs> Halloween night on a Sunday, a Sunday night, Halloween game. They're going to have just, just so long to to pregame. This one could get pretty uh pretty sloppy outside of uh outside of U.S. Bank Stadium. Now, what will it uh what will it look like inside? Will they deliver a trick or a treat? I don't know, Andrew. But uh, oh, it, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. It's it's you know anytime they play in prime time, it's fun. You got to wait all day for the game. You gotta you know the fans are gonna be uh they're gonna be ready. Let's just Waiting say all that. day
2: for Sunday nights. That's go. right. That's what? how the song
1: goes. I
0: think that's how the yeah. song goes. They're playing the song today at practice, so they they were trying to set the mood for the week here. Uh, the Vikings started practicing this week out of the bye, still did not have Michael Pierce. Obviously, Patrick Peterson is out, so we'll talk a little bit about the defensive injuries against a high-powered offense. The Cowboys also have a couple injuries of note that we'll get into. Um, we'll talk a little bit about sack numbers for the Vikings, both def- defensive and offensively. They're doing pretty well on both sides of the ball and how that has kind of helped them stay in these games. And then, of that note, we'll get into Everson Griffin and his resurgence with Minnesota uh, and a recent trade that basically locks in Everson Griffin as a, a full time contributor for this 2021 team. And then we'll take your questions, as we always do. But, guys, we should start with just this atmosphere and this game coming up. Um, ben, I think at three and three, we already went through the whole what is this team? Are they one and five? Are they five and one? Um, but at the, at the risk of sounding uh, cliche like we keep hearing around TCO Performance Center, this does seem like a game where we're going to figure out just how much of a contender this team can be against Dallas, no?
2: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Defensively, statistically, they, they're awfully good. And, I mean, the, the Vikings are, which the eye test probably wouldn't match up with that quite to the degree that the statistics would say that they are. And I think some of that has been the quarterbacks they've faced. It's been Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, uh, Sam Darnold, three cautionary tales in taking a quarterback at the top of the draft, unless you're sure about the guy that you're getting, I suppose. But you're going to start to see a little bit of a step up here when it's Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Rogers the next four weeks. And you're going to play at least three games without Patrick Peterson. I I think it is a better, uh, to use a phrase we heard a time or two in press conferences today, it's a better measuring stick than uh, we've probably seen in the past few weeks. And really these next four games are going to tell us a lot, as as we've said. And I think as we'll continue to say through the stretch, this is going to tell us a lot of what this team is. A lot of this question we've been asking for the last six weeks It's we're going to have better to it by the end of this month. Yeah, Mike, especially November, I should say. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and Mike, especially just talking about Sunday night, I mean, them being at home, you know, having that crowd, that atmosphere, that uh, probably lubricated crowd, as you referenced um, yeah, there aren't going to be any excuses for like, Oh, it's, you know, lost a tough road game. Like they did at Arizona. Like they've got a lot working in their favor in terms of health and, and the environment for this game.
1: Yeah, they do. I mean, you mentioned the injuries to Pierce and Patrick Peterson. We'll see if you know if Pierce is able to go, but not usually a good sign if he's not yet practicing. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of it's a, it's kind of a shame, but it also is kind of how they're it's how they're constructed, right? I mean, they've they've kind of put a lot of their money into the into the high end players, and then there's a there could be a, a pretty big drop off. Like they just they don't stop the run the same when when Pierce and, and Tomlinson aren't, 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 on the field, you know, you've seen it even when they're healthy, when they, when they take a little breather, the run defense definitely suffers. So if, you know, if I'm the Vikings, I'm, I'm worried about the Cowboys offense and I'm not as worried about moving the ball, even though the, even though Dallas has had a, a better defense this year, but you know, absolutely. In terms of the test, if, if Dak Prescott is healthy and good to go, um you know that's a step up in class and i think ben mentioned you know all four of those quarterbacks are a step up in class you know they played some good ones early on i think you can you were starting to see that joe burrow is you know a, a pretty good one kyler murray certainly qualifies but you know beyond you know beyond that it hasn't been a a murderers row of uh of quarterbacks that they've had to try to take down so you know it's how good are they 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 probably don't really know that yet all they know is what they think they know. So it, it will be nice to, at least to kind of get some clarity on, on that and, you know, figure out what is this thing that they're trying to do right now. Yeah. And Ben, you, you
0: brought up defensively, the numbers would indicate they're pretty good. I, I would have to imagine the pass rush is where those numbers stand out the most so far, right?
2: Yeah, it is. They, I believe lead the league in pressure rate, and I think are at the top or very near it in sacks as well which is interesting because I think that was one of the big questions we had before the season was we knew Daniel Hunter was going to give them pressure, but where else was it going to come from? I don't think we thought uh, though. I've talked to people in his camp that said, yeah, you should have thought this the whole time, but I don't think we thought Everson Griffin was going to give them what he's given them. I mean, he in some metrics has been more effective as a pass rusher than than Daniel Hunter. He's played fewer snaps, uh, I think has generated pressure more frequently in terms of pressure per snap and pressure per opportunity to, to rush the quarterback than Hunter has. So when he's done that, it has allowed them to not have the blitz to get to the quarterback. It has, I think, changed a lot of things in terms of teams not just being able to key on Daniel Hunter all the time, and it probably made them a little more comfortable dealing Stephen Weatherly over the weekend. From what I heard, Weatherly was forcing, or not forcing, but certainly angling for a trade. Wanted to be out of here, wanted to go somewhere where he was going to get more playing time, and a lot of that is because Everson Griffin has played so well that Weatherly's role has almost completely dried up, and they, of course, are able to deal him to George Payton, the GM that helped draft him here in Minnesota, and you get a little bit of cap space back, and you he swapped draft picks effectively for it. But um, yeah, I think a lot of this is a credit to what Everson Griffin has done in the last few weeks here.
0: Yeah. Ben, when you mentioned people in Griffin's camps that he should have seen this coming, did, did they just mean in terms of him coming back to Minnesota being comfortable and kind of, cause last time we saw Griffin, he, at least with Dallas, for instance, the team yeah. coming here on Sunday, he, he looked like his career was over in Dallas.
2: Yeah, it did. And I, I think it's more physically just that he still has the ability to do it, uh, that he has the ability to get after the quarterback. The thing is, and it's going to be interesting to see how this goes throughout the year, when, when he was here at the end of 2019, we saw teams start to run his direction more, um, You know, probably as much of a sign of respect for Daniel Hunter as anything else. But he became the let's run it at 97, more than 99 kind of thing. And if he continues to play as much as he has, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes because they, they have played him in you know, a 75, 80% of the time the last two weeks. And, and you've had to, because you've been in close games and needed to get a quarterback at the end, but they've also played him a lot in the base. And we certainly saw that in Carolina. And I, I wonder how that's going to go. If you go the entire season with this and, you know, they talk a lot about, we want to keep his snap counts down and, He's in his 30s and we need to to keep an eye on those things. But uh, I'm curious to see what they do. I I don't know that he's asking for less because I think he feels pretty good and feels like he's able to do the job. But, you know, I I would tend to think that as the season goes on, having him play 85 percent of the time, especially in running situations, may not be the wisest course of action.
0: Yeah, Mike, I, I, guess that's the question that we've had around TCL performance center for weeks now, like how realistic is it to curb Everson snaps when what they, what they have at defensive end outside of him and Daniel is not a whole lot. And then you trade away Weatherly, a guy who's, you know, theoretically a guy that you trusted to go in there at certain points. Um, and you, you get rid of some of that depth to, as Ben has reported to help a guy that you like to kind of go on and get a bigger role somewhere else. But they clearly don't trust their third round rookie Patrick Jones on the field at this point. They're talking about elevating Kenny Willekes from the practice squad to fill some of those reps. I don't see how it's realistic to keep Everson's snap count lower.
1: No, I don't think it is. And it's, you know, I guess I didn't quite think about how much of a gamble it is to to deal away Weatherly. I mean, you know, Griffin, like you said, is is, you know, he's got a history of you know he's, he's older and he's, he's got a history he could get hurt you don't know what's going to happen with with these guys their bodies can their bodies can break down and you know what happens if if he goes down it, it is a little bit of a, a risk and the more you play him the more you do risk those you know fatigue type injuries or just you know f- fatigue setting in and him being less effective but again it, it does depend on the game situation you're not gonna when you're in a year where you're like this and it's like you, you've kind of push put yourself in a situation where you are definitely built to win now you're not saving snaps for 2022 you're trying to squeeze every ounce of this out of you know, whatever player you can right now and we think we've seen that with dalvin cook too i mean they're they're not limiting dalvin cook's touches either right no
0: no and, and i guess ben part of this weatherly conversation i want to get your thoughts on this question we got in the mailbag um Somebody had asked, how does giving up a part of the rotation for a seventh round pick help us this year? What Were they just placating a guy that they drafted and liked in, in terms of putting his interest over maybe theirs?
2: Yeah, I think that had a lot to do with it. My sense is that that conversation started in part from Weatherly wanting to move to you know, basically seeing the writing on the wall here and saying, if you're not going to use me, let me go somewhere where... I can play and where I'm on a one-year contract, I can go do enough to earn my next deal. And the the logical fit, as I was told over the weekend, the whole time with the Broncos because of the connection with George Payton, because he can step in and, and have some, a little bit of equity just in terms of you have people, whether it's George Payton, whether it's Kelly Klein in that front office that know him and Shamar Stefan, a teammate that knows him as well. So I think it had a lot to do with that. And the cap space is a nice, you know, kickback in terms of what they get back because they need to be able to roll some of that over into next year, given how tough their cap situation is next year. But it does. And I think Mark Craig pointed this out on Twitter all weekend that uh, we still have 11 games to go in this thing and their five week is done. So they're going 11 games from here to the end. And when it's a team that needs to win, you are not incentivized to play for the future. You are incentivized to play right now. And it does open you up, I think to the possibility that if somebody goes down, that's a spot where you had depth. And we've talked a lot about how this team doesn't have a ton of depth. I think the defensive line is probably the biggest exception to that. And you did deal a depth piece off of that group to, you probably do weatherly a favor, but you also open yourself up a little bit. If somebody does go down, I don't quite know how you fix that.
0: Yeah. So long as Griffin and Daniil Hunter are healthy, this pass rush seems like it's going to be much like what it was in 2019, as opposed to 2020. Um, But offensively in terms of the sacks and keeping those numbers low, this, this has been much better than 2019 or 2020. Like Kirk is, is uh, Ben, you got to re- read the stat that you were telling me or, or telling us earlier about it. But Kirk has been getting hit less, taking fewer sacks than I think he ever has in Minnesota, maybe even at any point in his career so far.
2: Yeah, it's he, the in terms of sacks per drop back, he I think is at the lowest rate he's been at as a starting quarterback, either Minnesota or Washington. He had the first year in Washington, we started like five games, it was probably a little bit lower than that. But if you look at his entire run as the starting quarterback, he's getting sacked like 3.6% of the time. And for comparison's sake, last year that rate was 7%. So he's getting sacked about half as often this year. And he's certainly getting pressured still. The pressure rates are about the same, but those haven't turned into sacks. and, And some of that's probably luck. Some of that's randomness to some degree. But there have been a few pieces to this. He has gotten rid of the ball much faster than, I think, He talked about play calling today. There's probably times where it's designed to get the ball out of a little bit sooner. Uh, I think he has the fifth fastest uh, time to throw in the league this year. Whereas two years ago, he had the slowest. And last year, I think he was the eighth slowest. So that's a big change. You had Christian Derisaw come in and, and play extremely well that first week. And you also, I think, have had some moments where Cousins, on the one play where Derisaw did give up pressure, Cousins avoids a strip sack in a moment where we have seen that happen before in the worst possible time, gets away from Brian Burns and then gets scrambles for 16 yards. So there's been some things I think the Cousins have done. There's been some things the line has done. There's been some things in the protections. Mike Zimmer talked about it this morning. You're not putting uh, Ben Ellison on a tight on a defensive end anymore. You're not having as many times where uh you're singling up a skill position player, though. Dalvin Cook, I think, said he still ended up with a couple of those last week with Brian Burns. And Burns took it easy on him because they played at Florida State together. But I think the whole thing has been a group effort, and we have seen that pay off. But this last game, I, I was—I just looked this up today. I was kind of amazed by the whole thing. But it's the first time since that Chargers game in 2019 that Cousins was not sacked. And it's the, I that was his 55th start in Minnesota regular season and playoffs. That was the fifth time he has played a game where he has not been sacked. So uh, it has not happened very often. Wow. Yeah,
0: that's, that says a lot about his time in Minnesota. I was surprised to hear you say that 2019, they held onto the ball the longest and that offense was, that was pretty good. Um, But yeah, yeah, it was because of those play action bootlegs. Keeping him clean that way, they have shifted the offense a little bit. They're finding ways to spring the play action game and be less predictable, at least in Carolina. But, Mike, this is a weird question, but does it feel like when you're watching these games and through the six games of the Vikings, does it feel like Kirk is taking fewer hits or sacks? Because the way the offense is bottomed out at times, they are still third worst in the league and fourth worst in the league and three and outs. Like they still, when they bottom out, they bottom out. But it's not coming through sacks. So I guess it's a weird question. Does it feel like this offense is getting better in that sense when you're watching
1: it? It it kind of does. I mean, it it's it's come and go like the Cleveland game. It felt like they just there nothing was nothing was happening, and Cleveland was just getting pressure with four. And the combination of that and you know being able to cover was just giving them all sorts of fits. And I think, you know, I think this I think this the thing that still really is noticeable with this team is that one negative play can derail an entire drive or an entire series so if you get a holding call or a motion penalty or your first down run loses two yards instead of getting three or four that's where you're getting those three and outs that's where you're getting you know you're getting off the field right away um, so it feels like when they you know any team is going to be good at this but like it feels like when uh, you know a, a more um a more traditionally elite quarterback, like an Aaron Rodgers or somebody else like that gets into a second and 16, you're not thinking, okay, this, this possession is over. You're going to have to punt it, just get a few yards and then play for field position. I still don't have a ton of confidence when they fall behind the chains. I do think, you know, I think some of the stats Ben mentioned were good. And I saw another one the other day that like, he's had like the third lowest percentage of pressures that have turned into sacks this year. And that's, you know, that's not like him. Usually pressures have turned into sacks with Kirk Cousins in the past. So definitely getting the ball out quicker. Sometimes I think it's, you know, they're still throwing short of the sticks or just kind of taking what's there. And that's not always yielding first downs, even though if it is preventing sacks. It's
0: funny, Ben brought up the San Diego game or the L.A. game. I guess it would have been at the soccer stadium 2019 where the Vikings went out there. Um, I remember leading into that game, we had talked to Kirk a little bit about Phillip Rivers and kind of what he liked about Rivers game. And and Kirk brought, that up. Kirk brought that up, though, in terms of like, I really like the fact that th- while this guy seems to always be under pressure, he has frequently one of the lower sack rates in the NFL because he does get the ball out, has a good sense of it. And that seems to be something that Kirk has done really well in this offense. And I'm curious if Ben, I'm curious how much you think that might have to do with we've heard clint kubiak we've heard kirk talk about how he has more of a say a little bit in this offense even mike zimmer said at some point like kirk's got a lot of opinions about
2: the offense yeah a I lot of how, opinions on a lot of things i think is how he put it
0: was well, as kirk is somebody who took so many hits last year i wonder if one of those opinions is hey let me get the let, let's draw things up where i'm getting the ball out a little bit faster
2: yeah i think that's probably part of it i mean if you look back on kind of what he was doing in Washington. It was more of the quick game type stuff, I think, trying to remember back. But I I certainly feel like the times they played him when he was with Washington, there was a lot of that. So there's there's probably some of his input coming into that, I would think. And and even when he's on the field, he certainly has some control over that just by how quick he's getting rid of the ball. But, yeah, I I think uh, when he – because when I asked him about it today, I kind of prefaced it by what you just brought up, that – he has said in the past, he's brought up Philip Rivers, and he's also kind of said that, that sacks are a quarterback stat in his mind. And, and he he talked about this, I remember, a few years ago. I sat down with him and asking him about what he looks at as the trait of an elite quarterback. And then the first thing he brought up was these guys that play for 15, 16 years and don't take a lot of sacks, given the fact that you're going to have periods where your offensive line either isn't very good or isn't very healthy. So when you have guys that aren't getting sacked, it follows that some of that has to do with the quarterback. And when I asked him that question today, the first thing he brought up was the play calling was that it's been kind of this design to not give up sacks. And, and yeah, I think it's probably a, a good inference from that, that he's had something to do with that and, and probably has made his input known on, on that front. And I wanted to bring that up.
0: Uh, one more thing off of that. Mike Zimmer kind of made it known today. Now, the Vikings do lead the NFL in offensive holding penalties. And yes, I think yes. Chip Scoggins had turned to you after the press conference, Ben, and had asked, was that a message? Because Zimmer went on some some diatribe about how he's, you know, the offensive holding has to stop. And, and I think Chip asked you behind the scenes. He's like, is that, is that a message at the refs or his own offensive line? And I'm curious, what, what were your thoughts on that? Ben?
2: I thought some of it was for the refs. <laughs> I think <laughs> no. that was because the Cowboys have had a fair amount of these too. And uh, I'm sure he'd like them called one way and not the other on Sunday night. But yeah, I I think that was probably a little bit of a message to the refs. Uh, The other thing that's interesting there is that it's obviously a Mike McCarthy coach team. And we've heard a fair amount of kvetching from uh, probably the fan base about the Packers offensive linemen over the years. And I wonder how much of that technique – and that that probably has more to do with offensive line coaches than uh, head coaches. But I wonder how much of that technique has carried over from Green Bay to Dallas. Because I I think one thing you do hear and see with the Packers is they've gotten pretty good at uh, grabbing on and not letting go and finding a way not to get called for holding, almost as if they're coached to do that. So I I wonder a little bit – the Cowboys have had a a good – kind of homegrown offensive line with high picks for a long time. That predates McCarthy. But I wonder how much of that technique is now being brought to Dallas from what we've seen for a lot of years in Green Bay.
0: Yeah, it's almost like the PI thing on defense of, like, just be physical every play. And, like, what what Seattle used to say about it in their Legion of Boom, like, we dare you to call it every play. Like, you're yeah. not go, you're not going to, so we're just going to live and die by.
2: Make it part of the brand. Yeah. And I, I think we used to hear about that with Rhodes, too. If it becomes part of the brand, they say, okay, that's just how, how they play. It's not out of the ordinary, and you can kind of lull them to sleep, lull the rest to sleep. Maybe people we'll go with that. It's an interesting thing to keep an eye on this week.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, all right, well, and this too, this week could be the first one where the, the Cowboys have L. Collins, Zach Martin, and Tyron Smith, their three best linemen, together for the first time under Mike McCarthy in the year and a half he's been there. Um, L. L. Collins is returning from a five-game suspension Uh, this week. He might not even start because the backup they've had has played so well for him
2: that they might not
0: even throw their starting right tackle back into the mix. I wonder what that's like for a fan base to see an offensive line just churn out talent. And they're like, you know, we might not even go back to our starter. Um, It's it's quite something to see a team have depth like that, but Dallas certainly seems to. Um, Although Dallas' offensive line, fun fact, was called for eight penalties last week. So they've had their own issues as well. Um, all right, guys. Let's I just. Out. I was just looking.
1: Oh, it, I was just looking it up. Andrew, thirteen offensive holding penalties for the Vikings, tied for the most in the NFL with Houston and Las Vegas. Dallas has been called for ten, and that excludes any declined penalties. So, thirteen and six games does seem like a lot, and that goes with nine false starts too. They're among the uh, false start leaders. So it's giving me a little project. To uh to see uh just how many of those offensive holding penalties have uh, derailed drives. I'm gonna go take a little dive into the Pro Football Reference when we're done here. I'm sure. So it's what
2: you're quite saying fun. is we're gonna get refs grinding this to a halt on Sunday night. <laughs> when uh, I gotta write a game story on deadline. Lovely.
0: Pre- precisely. Yep. <laughs> in my
2: ears. But Let, hey. let's go find. I'm sure Kevin Seaver can tell us this, but it's probably some officiating crew that just flags everything too. That'll that'll be fun
0: the the zekiel elliott dalvin cook trains will do their best to keep the clock running i'm sure in that game so. the refs will be doing everything they can to stop it god's work has uh <laughs> it came up in an email
2: exchange recently
0: wasn't that the browns game where we all looked up at each other and we're like the first quarter went like five minutes and it was yes, just gone but,
2: yeah <laughs> yeah love to run the ball and nobody scored so it was it was one of those and i think it it almost went to overtime it was uh I think Lavelle was covering that game. And somebody said that in the press box, how fast it's moving. And that's the the cardinal sin when you're covering baseball. Obviously it's not on a clock, but you never, ever, 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 ever in a baseball press box say, boy, this game's really moving quickly because you're almost always guaranteed to um, anger the baseball gods and either get yourself extra innings or rain delay or both. So not as big of an issue in football, but I think Lavelle and I looked at each other that day and said – that's a dangerous move, and I, it, it did slow down to some degree towards the end. But, yeah, you're, you're insulated from that maybe a little bit more in uh, sports with a clock than you are in baseball. All
0: right, let's get to some Twitter questions here before. Ben, I wanted to get your thoughts on this before you got to go. Um, first one I'll pick. Chad wants to know, with Garrett Bradbury being the disappointment he's been, it's a sure thing they don't sign his fifth-year option, right, and then let him walk when his contract is up. Um, then he asks, do you think he'll even be on the roster next year? And now keep in mind, Bradbury would still be on his rookie salary that next year. It's that 2023 year when that salary would spike. So Ben with him being a disappointment, do you think a, it's a sure thing they don't pick up the fifth year option. And then B, do you think there's a chance they move on from him even sooner? And that's after this year.
2: Well, I'm trying to remember with the, cause we haven't, I don't think we've dealt with it yet, just in terms of your options that have even been a question but with the new CBA I think those are guaranteed now once you pick them up right am I am I wrong on that I don't know for sure but
0: I, I would assume that if that is the, let's say it is the case they probably wouldn't do it right and then right if, if it's not the case if it's not guaranteed then maybe that opens the door for them doing it but yeah you're still risking it being guaranteed if he gets a severe injury because they've always been guaranteed for injury right?
2: Because the, the thing was, in the past, when they, when they first added this, and I, I'm just tap dancing in here a little bit, so I have time to look it up, uh, and I did. Um, in the past, it was always when you'd pick up the option, it was only guaranteed for injury at the time that you picked it up, and then it became fully guaranteed as that player headed into his fifth year. That has, in fact, changed now. and it, it's Once you pick it up, at the end of year three, it is fully guaranteed, as is any base salary in the fourth year of a player's deal that was not previously guaranteed. So you don't see a lot of rookie contracts that aren't fully guaranteed through four years, but that is an important change to all of this. So if they picked it up in the spring, it is fully guaranteed in the fifth year. So you're basically committing to Garrett Bradbury for another two years. If you pick it up. Yeah. I, I, in that case, it's probably not terribly likely that they do it. and, and Especially when you you have that fourth year guaranteed as well. I I have to go back and look at the specifics of his deal to to remember if it's fully guaranteed in 2022 as well as that fifth year option would be in 2023. But yeah, I would think the way he's played, you're probably not doing that. It it would seem like probably more of a, a commitment that you want to make, given how he's played.
0: Yeah, and I I just looked it up quick. His his salary is guaranteed already for 2022 and being an 18th overall pick, that's standard. Um, So, yeah, I don't see, to the second part of Chad's question, I do not see them moving on from him, obviously, and just... No, I think it seems
2: a little premature, probably, right?
0: Yeah, I would see them going through at least that final year of his rookie deal and then letting him walk if they decide that they've seen enough at that point. But what's interesting is he may be on the roster next year. It doesn't guarantee he's the starting center. And that's what's that's what's interesting. Mike, have you seen enough to think you know? Boy, we could lock Bradbury in for at least one more year in the starting lineup.
1: I don't think so, but it's kind of hard to it's hard to start over, right? And it would be an admission of a of a bad pick. That's something you got to remember too. Like, if you move on from him, you're saying, "Boy, we messed that one up." 18th overall pick. I mean, they that's not a sure thing. But when you draft an offensive lineman that high, you're thinking you've got a starter as long as he's healthy for the next, you know. Six that to ten case. years, right? Like ideally, yeah. right? Like that's guys drafted that high on the offensive line are probably you know they're more sure things than a quarterback. They're more sure things than a wide receiver. Probably like the, the would like a word. What's that?
2: Matt Khalil would like a word.
1: He got hurt though. I mean, but yeah, I know, I know. He was right. It was, and he was the fourth pick. So that's that's yeah. a bigger miss. But you know, it. So you got to weigh that in. But yeah, in terms of his production on the field, I mean, unless. Something really sinks up in these next eleven games, and you're looking at okay, he's working well with, you know, maybe slightly bigger guards now on the inside, and maybe that's that's insulating him a little bit, and maybe part of the problem these last few years was, you know, the guard play next to him also was subpar, and, and you know he can get by now with if, if if they've got better guard play, but if you just look at it isolated and he's he's below average, I don't I don't see how you can say sign me up for more of that.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure how you'd be able to do that either. He needs to turn it around quite a bit this year and just not, I mean, just not get bowled back into the quarterback as often as he does. Um, He's
2: kind of become the weak link in a lot of ways. I mean, not that this group is completely fixed. I don't think we should say that, but man, when you when you look at it every week, it seems like the guy that is more often than not getting overpowered is him.
0: When it goes bad quickly. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree with you a hundred percent on that. It seems like whenever something goes South in a hurry, it's coming directly up through Garrett Bradbury's side because Oli Udo doesn't seem to lose battles quickly. He just seems to get penalized a lot. Yeah. Um, Ezra Cleveland has, you know, some room to grow there, but he also isn't getting destroyed the way Dakota Dozier was in the way that Garrett Bradbury still is. So yeah, that seems to be it. It's, it's, and that's one of the big things with offense. I mean, I've heard Clint Kubiak say that before of like, Let's just not lose quickly. What what did um, Thielen say about, what did coaches tell receivers in terms of blocking? Get run, get over, run over slowly. slowly. Yeah, like, yeah, like when, you, when you get run over, make sure a guy has to crawl over you to get through you and go past him because just, just basically don't lose quickly. And that's the thing with Garrett, where you just see it too much, where it just gets blown up yeah. so quickly. Um, uh, we got another question from Joel that I like a lot when he says, you are forced to trade away one player on this team by the trade deadline that is worthy of a first or second round pick. Now I'm not sure why the Vikings would do this, but if, if you were trading away, Mike, a player who's worthy of a first or second round pick, who would that be? And it you've got your options, right? Cause there's a lot of talented players on this team. And, and, and I don't think if you're the Vikings, you're certainly not trading away Kirk cousins, somebody who you might say might be worthy of that. Cause you're still trying to win now. So there's that, that line of like, who would you move right now if you were going to try to recoup that kind of a high draft pick?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I saw that one earlier and actually spent some time kind of thinking about it. And I mean, in some of it's who do you think is worth that much? Because there's certainly players you'd be more comfortable giving up more comfortable than others. Um, you know, is, is Anthony Barr worth the first or second round pick? Probably not. Um, not at this point in his career. That was the answer I came to right away. Like I would, I would move him if I were the Vikings if that was possible. I just don't think he's that caliber of player anymore, especially when there's questions about his health and I, it's hard for me to imagine them dealing anybody else on defense right now. So like I, right now, like it's it's a much easier question if they're one and five right now and it's a fire sale cuz then you trade Kirk Cousins if there's a bidder, and I think there's a lot of teams that are looking for a quarterback right now that could be a lot better if they got a quarterback, but they're not one and five, they're three and three. They're trying to win. My answer, I guess, would have to be Dalvin Cook. And I think that's a little bit absurd, but that's, that's what I would do. I would, I would say, I know that this has been the identity of the team, but I feel like the drop-off to Alexander Madison isn't all that, Great. It's it's significant, but you can get by. You they've still won with Alexander Madison in there. I know the defenses have to account for Dalvin Cook in ways that they don't have to account for Alexander Madison, but like if you're just asking me who I would trade, it would probably probably be Cook. And I guess my second choice would be Adam Thielen.
0: That's funny. You say that. Yeah. I pulled up Adam Thielen. I was thinking, how old is Adam Thielen? And I was happy to see that he's 31 only because that would make sense in moving him. And I think, I think you'd be selling about as high as you possibly could at at this point on on a guy like Thielen and he might not totally derail your hopes for the season because you've got KJ Osborne who's come up and shown you, we can, you can be something here, but then you open back up that whole question of who you have behind Justin Jefferson and KJ. It's, it's a fun exercise because you're trying to think, how can you gain draft capital while still fielding a competitive team and not taking away from too much of what you have on the field? I thought Harrison Smith, because at some point if you're managing a roster, you're just thinking, okay, asset-wise, which of these is about to depreciate a lot? And you wouldn't do this with Harrison because you just paid him a bunch of money that's going to stay on your books if you move him. So why not Adam, a guy who you actually might have to redo his deal soon to keep him on this team for another three or four years? Um, and he's been on fire to start the year pretty much. So I, to me, Adam makes a lot of sense um, just because of his age and because you've got K.J. Osborne showing that, hey, you would at least have two capable wide receivers. Uh, but let's stolen. be
1: clear, they're not going to so, do any of that. No,
0: <laughs> <laughs> they are absolutely not going to do that. It's a fun thought exercise, though, just like how would you stay competitive and yeah. still get a top draft pick like that? Um, we got a question here from Teddy Keenum. I like that name. Wants to know what could or should we expect from the Vikings rookies the rest of this season? And he says, particularly not the ones named Derisaw. Um, Because Christian's the only one who's playing, the only one who's going to play. Go down the list. It's Kellen Mann. He's not going to play. It's Patrick Jones, whom you thought should get some run here with Stephen Weatherly going out the door, but the Vikings have basically said Mike Zimmer and Andre Patterson have said each time we're at have been asked about Patrick Jones and said well we've got Kenny Willekes on the practice squad that we're leaning towards so it seems that he's not going to get run right away that would have to come in the second half of the year got Wyatt Davis who's nowhere near the starting lineup right now their guards haven't been much of a problem at this point um and then oh Chaz Surratt who's been playing on special teams and is like their fourth or fifth linebacker probably at this point so those are the day one and day two picks they got right there, and I can't. I mean, Mike, I can't think of anybody else that would contribute at this point for them. To me, it seems like Darasa is going to be the only one.
1: Yeah, I would think so. I mean, and the you know the bigger question is, you know, what are they getting from even the previous drafts too? And you know, it's it's kind of a it, that's kind of you know getting getting down to you know some some problems of that's probably why they have part of the problems of depth is they're just not getting a ton of production from some of these, some of these picks. I mean, they, they are in some cases, but yeah, I I just don't see them getting a whole lot from this draft class outside of Derrissaw right now. And you know, they, they went on and got a bunch of veterans. So maybe that wasn't what they were built to do this year, but I certainly think that in a perfect world, uh, Wyatt Davis might've won a job by now they might be getting, you know, they, they might've, be getting more out of Jones as a third round pick at, at defensive end, at least getting him on, on the field and in the rotation. So, um, I, I guess the short answer to that question is not much.
0: Yeah. And, and I guess if you do look past, you know, you've got Kenny Wongwu who can be their kick returner in terms of like tertiary roles, special team stuff. Um, after that card or excuse me, Panthers game, the Vikings actually released Amir Abdullah, um, and so that is going to open the door potentially for Wong Wu who's coming off that knee injury. He can contribute on special teams. That might help them. Cam Bynum is one snap away from being a starting safety, basically, for this team because there's no depth behind Harrison and Xavier Woods. So he's right there. And then we have seen Amir Smith-Marset get mixed into special teams, but he's been a healthy scratch recently. So his arrow has been pointing down. Um, so to me, yeah, it's just special teams. It's Wong Wu, It's Bynum who's still getting some runs. Surratt's getting run on special teams. Um, but I think in terms of handling the football, Wongu is going to be the the only one, and it's going to be on kickoff returns most
1: likely. Would Would you say they reached the punt of no returns on Amirabella?
0: <laughs> I am interested in why they cut him because like he had their longest return it was a forty five yard kickoff return yeah. in Carolina. Yeah, and then and then they cut him, and I know uh, Wongu is coming back, but I, I
1: mean, he must have done something else but, on special teams because I think they're
0: going to bring him back onto the practice squad, but I just don't understand you know, them just saying, ah, we don't need you anymore on special. He
1: wasn't that dynamic. I looked it up. That was his longest return since like 2015. So he's, okay. you know.
0: So he wasn't bringing a whole lot.
1: I've got one from Danny here quick. Um, X is a nose question, which is good for you, Andrew. With Peterson out, what can Zimmer do scheme wise to give help to Dantzler and Breland?
0: Yeah, I I imagine it's going to be a lot of too high safety stuff. This is going to put the onus on their, particularly their it's gonna be interesting to see how the Cowboys do this because they can go big. They can play multiple tight end sets. They can just try to run you over or as they did against the Patriots last week or two weeks ago, they can spread it out with their receivers and still run at you. And if the Vikings either way, it's going to put the onus on Mackenzie Alexander as a nickel corner or Nick vigil as the third linebacker in their run defense, because I don't think the safeties are going to be helping a whole lot. If, If my guess goes, They're going to have Harrison and Xavier Woods playing a lot like 2020 did with Harrison and Anthony Harris, where they're just sitting over the top of these corners, afraid they're going to get beat every play, because that's what they did last year. Last year, these rookie corners got beat a lot. These safeties had to play deep. They didn't make as many plays on the ball because they were always playing deep. Um, I think this game has to look like that, because how can you trust Cam Dantzler as, as as, as much as you'd like to think he's made strides? This is just going to be his first start since last year. He played quite a bit. Earlier, I think it would have been against the Browns, but that was against a very bad Baker Mayfield. This is a whole different environment. And so Cam Dantzler, national television under the lights, you got to put a safety over the top of them almost every single play, which which is going to put the onus on the defensive line, those linebackers, potentially that nickel corner of stopping Zeke Elliott, because I don't think Harrison or Xavier Woods are going to be anywhere near him.
1: Um, so the defense is going to get run over slowly is what you're saying. It's going to yeah, be a lot kidding. of 10 or 11 play drives. Cause they're going to get, you know, these 11 to 15 yard completions up and down the field.
0: Isn't that how the, it's funny too. Cause I think that's a little bit of how the Browns game looked when it really shouldn't have. Cause I think they gave Baker Mayfield and Odell a little bit more respect than they should have. They did back the safeties off. Um, and in this game you have to, cause you just, I don't know how else you cover Amari Cooper and CD lamb with Dak Prescott. Otherwise, um cuz as we all know Bashar Brilan has been a liability too at points of this season. Um Mike we can end here with the chicken fingers statement of the week. It's a succinct and apt one. He just says the Vikings next four opponents have an overall record of 20 and 6.
1: Yeah, that's uh that's not bad. I think again we talked about this on the show last week. If they can go 2 and 2 in this stretch that feels like that's you know that's holding serve in you know in both a a direct way you know two and two is an even record but it's also i think they'd feel pretty good about that based on you know what they're what these opponents have you know green bay is six and one right now dallas has only lost once Uh, baltimore stumbled quite a bit against cincinnati maybe maybe we're seeing cincinnati's a little bit better than we thought and the chargers are pretty good too so yeah it's it's not going to be it's not going to be easy in any of these in any of these games um And I don't think we should pretend like it, it will be. That's what makes this Dallas game so important, right? It's like, if you can't win this game, I know you're a couple point underdogs, even though you're at home, but if you can't win this one, then suddenly you've got to manage to win two of those next three, two of them being on the road, you know, one of them, a West coast game off of a, you know, after, you know, after a a week of a week of playing. So it's, it's a, it's a, this one is almost going to define that stretch because you feel so much better about their chances of winning one out of those other three, as opposed to trying to, to you know, to, to win two of those after losing this one.
0: And ideally, we say two and two, but ideally, one or two of those wins comes in those NFC games, right? They're, they're three and right. they're three and one in the NFC right now, which is uh, that really matters for them being in that seventh kind of. If you drop the playoff hunt right now, maybe being in that seventh spot for the wild card. Um, if you can beat Dallas or Green Bay, or somehow both, that's going to do so much for your chances. If you go out there and you beat just the AFC teams and now you're three and three in the NFC, you could still lose a tiebreaker down the road to one of these teams. That just look at the NFC playoff seating, it is so muddled. You got those five teams or six teams, excuse me, that are you know seven and oh, six and one, five and two. And then you got just this 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 clump of <laughs> three and three with the Vikings, the Saints, or whatever, or um, Falcons or you know, Bears, like just all these like teams that project to be these nine and eight teams, they're going to punch each other silly. If the Vikings are going to get through that, I think they really need to do it on these NFC games, especially, which is why that Carolina win was so important for them. And as you said, why this Dallas game is going to be pretty important too. Um, yeah, and that'll do it for us though. We'll, we'll be breaking it all down from us bank stadium Sunday night after the game, make sure to check out our work at startribute.com. And we'll
2: have a podcast recapping the Vikings at the Cowboys. Um, Maybe you should get off the podcast...